1: Jesus right. Jesus, we will wait on you.
2: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. We're going to have to stir ourselves up and get a hold of God. We're going to have to stir ourselves up. He's not going to do it for us. He's not going to move us off our easy chair. He's not going to move us to fast and pray. He's not going to move us. We're going to have to be hungry for God and bestir ourselves and get a hold of God. The scriptures say that if we come close to him, he will come close to us. That's only going to happen if you take very specific action. I've been taking that action. Fasting, praying, seeking the face of God. I recognize I've got to get a whole new understanding of the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and the fullness of the Holy Spirit, I am way, way, way too shallow, too filled with my own my own heart. I need Jesus and I'm going after him. And I'm asking you to do the same thing with me. I'm asking you to go after Jesus. I want to read a, a passage. We're working out of Second Peter, the first chapter. He speaks about those wonderful things that he wants us to take a hold of and dance with. Remember, we spoke about those yesterday. Virtue. Literally, he's speaking about courage to name the name of Jesus. Knowledge. That is the intimate knowledge of who Jesus is. From the scriptures, from the Holy Spirit. Looking at the world, not through our eyes, but through the eyes of God. Coming into an understanding that we're to pour our hearts out for the lost and the dying. Self-control, that is, temperance. No longer wasting our time and money on foolish trinkets. No longer wasting our time or our money on foolish entertainment. There's a heaven to win and a hell to miss. And there are crowds that we want to have go with us. Temperance. Self-control. Godliness. Brotherly love. Divine love. He's identifying these things. And and then he says, now these things being in you and increasing, they may make you neither idle nor unfruitful. We have been in the American church, idle and unfruitful. Even that wonderful organization of old, the Salvation Army, has gone almost entirely into social justice it's gone into being an ngo not a source of salvation for the lost the poor and the dying they've lost their mission they're not known for evangelism they're known for good deeds and that's very important i praise god for them but they're off track They've left their first calling and their first love, which was Jesus. He says, for in whom these things are not present, he is blind, being short-sighted, having received forgetfulness of the cleansing from his former sins, not forgiveness, but the removal of those sins, as well as having the sleep wiped clean. That brief passage in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 9 reminds me of what Jesus said about the church at Laodicea, blind, naked, miserable, wretched, poor, and don't even know it. Now for this reason, brethren, verse 10, more than ever you must be diligent. You must be Earnest, you must be quickly moving to make your calling and election sure. For while doing these things, you will never once fall. The only reason a man or a woman will continue to give way to darkness and sin against the Almighty God. is because they have not made their calling and election sure. And as they walk in sin, the wages of sin, according to Romans 6, is death. Even though you claim to be a Christian, and even though you say, by God's grace, I've been saved, no, in the end, you will not be saved. You will be lost. Make your calling and election sure. This is not once saved, always saved, because it's clear in this passage in Second Peter and in all of Peter's writings that you can lose out and most will. In Matthew 25, the story of the virgins, five wise, five foolish, half of the church is lost these are virgins who are who are waiting on jesus coming they've sacrificed to be out there but they have no oil because they were never earnest in making their calling and election sure so they fell into sin and they were lost verse 11 For in this manner, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly provided for. My brother, my sister. Do you understand that we're in a war? It's a war for your soul. It's a war for the soul of America. And if we're not very careful, our freedoms will be stripped from us. They're already being stripped from us. It's going to require a great deal of concerted effort to preserve the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. Individual effort, corporate effort. We would say in the political realm that our politicians, our our leaders, have lost the vision of what America was supposed to be. Please, the pastors of the American church have lost the vision of what the church is supposed to be. We've lost the vision. And you can sit back and be comfortable, enjoy the amenities of your beautiful church building, and you can enjoy the amenities of the modern American life, but in the end you'll be lost. There must rise up in us an earnest desire to bestir ourselves and get a hold of God. Jesus outlined what became the basic disciplines of the New Testament church. The reading of the Scriptures. Earnest prayer. Not two or three minutes, but after the first hour, then your real prayers begin. He said, Could you not even watch and pray for one hour? Earnest, earnest prayer, waiting before God, pouring out our hearts. Fasting. One brother said to me, I don't see any benefit in starving myself. What good is that? Well, because when you fast, you get hungry. And you use that hunger to increase your hunger for Jesus. And your mind gets clear. And you say, oh, oh and then the fourth discipline is giving to the poor sharing what we have giving to the work of the gospel those are the four basic disciplines reading of scripture prayer fasting giving to the poor if you don't use those four basic disciplines of the Christian church given to us by Jesus. You will never bestir yourself and you will in your sleepy way and your worldly love miss out on the coming of Jesus Christ and you will be blocked from entering the kingdom of heaven. I urge you today, bestir yourself do what is necessary to stir your heart up and go get a hold of God. Some of you have never gone and gotten a hold of God. He's been out there, never speaks to you, casual, full of yourself, empty, lazy, Oh, we must bestir ourselves now and go after God. I received a book from my dear brother Ed, How Pentecost Came to Los Angeles by Frank Bartleman. I want to read just a a brief passage out out of this new book that I just received. It'll give you a little taste of what Frank Bartleman faced and how he handled it. He arrived in Los Angeles with his wife and two daughters, the oldest three years of age and the youngest one and a half years old. It was December 22, 1904. He stopped one night at, in Los Angeles at the Face of God mission and he rented two unfurnished rooms in the upstairs without heat. He had little money, but he was able to secure some used furniture. And he writes, we cooked and ate under a tent in the yard, but it was rainy and it was cold and we suffered much. Our youngest child became sick, but God spared her. The harvest was great, but the labors in those days, they were few. There was plenty of mission work all around us, but the question was, how were our needs to be supplied? Every night found me taking part in services, and my days were spent in personal work. We lived by faith, having no income. I'd served the Lord largely on this line since my conversion. In 1893, having been called to preach soon after, my wife was one with me. December 31, we had received 50 cents. That's all we had received since coming to Los Angeles. We were stranded. My health was poor. I wrote in my diary at that time, my health is quite poor, but I believe I shall live to finish my work. Few care to go into the hard places, but my work is to go where others will not go. It seems God can only get a man who has nothing but heaven to live for, to do the work which a strong man is needed to do. I am glad to be used up for his service. I would rather wear out than rust out. I would rather starve for God, if need be, than fatten for the devil. That was the spirit of my consecration. I want to tell you, that's my spirit also. I would rather starve than fatten up for the devil. I would rather fast and pray and seek the face of God. I have nothing but heaven. I have nothing in this world but heaven. I have... I have no desire for anything in this world except for Jesus. So I'm going after him. I'm bestirring myself. I live in a very comfortable townhouse. It's a great temptation to just relax. But I can't. In part, I have to face you day by day. I'm accountable before God for what I say to you, and it must be from the heart of God. And then my own heart is stirred up by my hunger for Jesus and for a much deeper place in him, for a much greater understanding of who he is. I need God. I need Jesus. On January 2, I testified and helped in an all-day meeting at a Methodist church. I had to walk there, not having any car fare. Afterward, being very tired, I asked the Lord for my car fare home. And there on the sidewalk was a nickel. I rode home. Little Esther, our oldest child, was suddenly seized with convulsions. And she passed away to be with Jesus January 7, 1905, at 4 a.m. in the morning. She had been a great sufferer all of her short life, being very frail from birth. This time it seemed God's will to take her. I was constrained to pray that she might be spared from so much suffering. I felt I was holding her by my prayers and prolonging her suffering. God wanted her, but he would not tear her from me. He made me willing to give her up. And then he took her home. She soon passed into glory. Without any further struggle. I had kissed her that morning for the last time in consciousness, little realizing it would be the last. Our little ones slip away from us so easily. Let us make the most of them while we have them with us. Deal gently with the children. Life is hard enough for them at best, and we may regret their loss when too late. This is a a tumultuous universe for the child's spirit. It's filled with terrible, evil forces. We must protect and help them all we can. My wife was pleading with the unsaved woman in the house to get right with God as little Esther's spirit was departing. So great was the grace given her. We had fondly hoped our little family might never be broken into by death. But he knew best. I copy the following from my diary written at that time. Little Esther slipped away from us early this morning to be with Jesus. The angels called her and she went to meet them. They carried her off and left us lonely and and heartbroken. Oh, what a void her absence leaves with us, but we sorrow not as those who have no hope. She is safe forevermore, saved from an unfriendly world, a life of suffering. She's too frail for the long journey of life in this world. And so he spared her. She was as innocent of evil as anyone could be. The great ordeal of life is past for her. She has gone on before, ahead of us, save from the sorrow of parting. She has escaped safely while we must struggle on. Her work is finished in the cool of the early morning of life, and she's gone home, spared the heat of the journey. The angels will care for her better than we could. And she will be inconceivably more happy. For her own sake, I would not recall her if I could. So we lay her body away in the full assurance of a glorious resurrection. Someday her glorified spirit, all radiant and rapturous with bristful joy of heaven, will meet us at the beautiful gate. We trust it will not be long. The Lester was our morning glory. It was the flower she loved. I placed it tenderly on her bosom as she lay in the coffin ready for burial. But she had gone where God and the angels are, never to grow world weary. We were glad. We were glad she ever came to us, though she stayed but such a little while and broke our hearts in parting. There's one more soul in heaven. Should we be called also before Jesus comes, we will sorrow only for those we leave behind. We will joy for all those gone before. We only miss our loved ones here. Could we but catch one strain of heaven's pure melody it would spoil us for earthly sounds forever could we but catch one glimpse of departed loved ones through the gates ajar earth could no longer hold us here we must see things from heaven's side Earth's sounds and spirits are so crude and so cruel. Heaven is all love and joy and peace and rest. And Thank God. Sorrow and porting there will never be known. No more empty chairs, nor graves, nor coffins there. Sister Frambles, a Methodist pastor's wife, she comforted us with a story. Sister Ferguson came from Face of God Mission to comfort us. The next day after Esther's death, but was forced to exclaim as she entered our humble abode, Why, the comforter is here! We had no money for a funeral, but Brother George Studd secured a cheap lot from the city for us, in evergreen cemetery among the children's plots. She lies buried there among the foreign children, and so she's a little missionary still as she was in life. I have to tell you, my late wife has been gone for 11 years. Jesus took her to heaven. I was deeply grieved and sorrowed, but very happy and rejoiced that she was able to escape the pain of the cancer that was eating her away. And she went with joy to be one with Jesus. Because we had no money. She was cremated. I have the box with her ashes still here in my house because we had no money to buy a burial plot for her. And I've decided that I will save her ashes until revival comes. The Lord has told me where I'll be ministering at that revival. And I know in that revival will be the closing out of the work of the gospel and the closing out of my life. And I've asked the Lord if I could have in that place on their 25 acres if I could have a small place where I could bury the ashes of my late wife and a place where I also could be buried if I'm not taken into the heavens. This issue of of death we have to face square up and know that life is very precious and very short. I lost a son. It broke my heart. He was just ready to be born. We were ready to go to the hospital, and that morning, my wife awakened and called me and said, Ray, something's wrong. This child is not moving in me today. We immediately went to the doctor and he told us the sad news that the child had died in the womb. It broke my heart. The child was full term, fully developed, but for some reason the Lord chose to take that, that son. Life is full of sorrows. Loss. Hardships. But I want to tell you. I'm an alien here. I'm a stranger here. This is not my home. Heaven is my home. Heaven is my home. There's nothing here that holds me except my consecration to Jesus for the work of the gospel. I trust entirely in Jesus for the provision for this radio. I trust entirely for Jesus to give me food and rent. I trust the Lord to dress me as he chooses. I trust Jesus. But even in all of that, I know I am still way too shallow. And I am doing everything in my power to bestir myself, to get a hold of God for a revival in America. There has to be a revival of godliness in the church. The church of America must be awakened. There is a war for our soul, and the church is being destroyed. It's being decimated by lust. It's being decimated by power struggles and ambition, entertainment foolishness of this world. It's being decimated, and the pastors who should be leading the charge are sound asleep or participating in the wickedness of the American church. Well, let me come back to Bartleman's story. He says, I carried the coffin. This was a child that was maybe three and a half, four years of age. I carried the coffin that contained all that remained on earth of our little darling on my knees in the carriage. It was raining too hard for my wife to go to the cemetery. Too cold. And so we laid her way on a dark and stormy day to await the resurrection morn where there will be no clouds nor sorrow. That pure, how pure that morning air will be. And how glorious our loved ones then. And how all creation will sing as the son of righteousness appears with healing in his wings. We had no hearse. We had no regular funeral but God provided even as he had in life. Our little Queen Esther seemed to have been born for such a time as this. Besides that little coffin with with heart bleeding, I pledged my life anew for God's service. In the presence of death, how real eternal issues become. I promised the rest of my life should be spent wholly for him. He made a fresh covenant with me. I then begged him to open a door of service quickly that I might not find any time for sorrow and grieving. Just one week after little Esther's departure, I was invited to preach twice a day at the little face of God mission. The devil fought hard. He must have sensed what was coming. At times, while preaching, a hot blast from the pit seemed to strike me. More than once, I almost fainted and had to rally my strength before I could proceed. I preached noon and night for almost a month here. One night, we had a season of great quietness at the altar for almost an hour. The Lord drew very near. We were stilled before him. It's a good thing to get quiet before God. We talk too much. He speaks in the still, small voice when we are quiet. Our spirits are too restless. We want too much. We're too defensive. We protect ourselves too well. We pretend we are something when we are nothing. And in these conditions, Mr. Bartleman writes, we cannot hear him. He does not shout and enter into turmoil. I've been sharing from a a book I've just received from dear brother Ed, How Pentecost Came to Los Angeles by Frank Bartleman. It's a treasure. Now let's be very honest, may we? If we want Jesus, if we want to get a hold of Jesus, we're going to have to humble our hearts, we're going to have to bestir ourselves and we're going to have to go after God. Now, yes, many of you find listening to this broadcast that you're challenged and bestirred, but that's not enough. You're going to have to do it for yourself. You're going to have to dig deep into the scriptures. You're going to have to dig deep in the prayer closet and begin to confess honestly your spiritual condition before a holy and righteous God. And you're going to have to cry out for more of Jesus. I can't take myself to where I have to go. I can see where I must go, but I have no way of getting there. It's not by works. It's by a knowledge of Jesus. It's by faith in Jesus. And so I am earnestly, with all of my heart, bestirring myself and going after God with the reading of Scripture, with prayer, with fasting, and with sacrificing all that I have for the gospel of Jesus Christ and for the poor. Those are the four basic disciplines of the Christian church. And when we follow them, we begin to break free in the prayer closet. Some of you pray very simple little prayers, casual little prayers, with no tears, no crying out to God. Because you're too comfortable, you're too satisfied in your armchair. You think you have everything in hand. You know what your plans are. Can I tell you what my plans are? To be utterly, totally, and completely consecrated to Jesus Christ, and He can do with me whatever He chooses. I ask him to take total freedom over my heart and my life and my health, over the National Prayer Chapel, over this broadcast. I want to read back in First Peter, this passage. It's found in chapter 5. Peter writes, You must shepherd the flock of God. Overseeing not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but readily. Not as lording it over the ones entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. I consider you all who listen a part of my flock. And I don't come with arrogance, telling you what you must do. You must cry out to the Lord. And after the chief shepherd having been revealed, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I want that unfading crown of glory. Likewise, younger men must be subject to the elders, and all being subject to one another, you must put on humility because God sets himself against the proud but gives grace to the humble. Consequently, you must be humbled under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the right time having cast all your worry upon him because he cares for you. You must be sober. You must be alert. Your accuser, the devil, is walking around as a roaring lion seeking somebody he may devour. You must set yourself against him, steadfast in the faith, knowing the same sufferings are being endured by your brotherhood in the world. Now, the God of all grace, the one having called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, after having suffered a little while, he himself will restore you, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the glory and the power into the ages of the age. Amen. We will not be humbled before God by circumstances alone and God has often used circumstances to desperately humble me taking from me family friends church leaving me hanging alone but I was raised with positive thinking When the going gets tough, the tough get going. I'm tough. I'm going to get going. I'm not going to lay here and feel sorry for myself. I'm on my way. I'm a winner. All of that foolishness. That was not washed out of me by circumstances. That was washed out of me by brokenness. Acknowledging before a holy and righteous God that I was an arrogant and proud man. And that if I didn't have him, I would die. And that I could not provide for myself. That I could not open the way before myself. That I was going to wait upon him. That I was going to humble my heart. You see, painful circumstances don't cause us to humble our hearts. It's a decision we make in response to whatever's happening in our lives. We can be arrogant and cause much pain in other people's lives by blaming them, by being defensive, and I've done all of that. We can self-justify our behavior and our failures. We can explain away why we're in the situation we're in and make it look like we're the victim's. May I be very straight up with you? I am not a victim. And you are not a victim either. And it requires that we make a determination in our heart that we are going to go after God, that we are going to get a hold of God, that we are going to humble our hearts before him, And stop excusing our failures. Stop excusing our feelings. Stop excusing our self-justifications and cast them all down and say, Lord, it's me. I'm the one standing in need of prayer. Remember that old song? It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. Well, it's me. I need your prayers. And I've been very encouraged by the great outpouring of love that has continued to come even this morning. Thank you. You are my precious brothers and sisters in Jesus. And while on one hand, I want to be careful not to offend you by accusing you, Or judging you. I want you to get serious about Jesus. Like you have never been in your life. Now if you ask me, I will tell you, I have always been serious about Jesus. But today I'm much more serious than I was a few years ago. I need a new understanding of who Jesus Christ is. I need a fresh revelation of his glory. I need a fresh understanding of who he is and what he wants and how to walk humbly before him. So I deliberately come transparent, not claiming to be somebody because I'm not, having nothing to recommend myself to you or to God. Simply casting myself fully upon Jesus and waiting upon him and earnestly bestirring myself with the Christian disciplines of prayer and scripture and fasting and giving for the work of the gospel and for the poor. Recognizing that nothing is going to change if I don't change me and hungrily search after Jesus. (laughs) That's what I'm doing. And I ask, will you join me in doing this? Will you fast with me? Will you pray with me? Will you search the scriptures with me? Will you give with me? Will you humble your heart before God and before your family and stop making any excuses for your failures or for your fears, for your anxieties? Cast it all on Jesus and get free and walk in the joy of the presence of Almighty God. Walk in joy in Jesus, but seek his face with all of your heart. Lord, I come. I come today before your throne, seeking your face, knowing that I have nothing to recommend me, I have no righteousness to bring before you and say I'm deserving of more than this. In fact, I'm in no way deserving for the love and the kindness and the mercy you've shown me, for the way you have removed sin from my heart and forgiven me for my wickedness. I come with my brothers and my sisters. And I say, Lord, will you look with mercy upon us? Will you look with kindness upon our weakness? Would you cause us to bestir ourselves and to do all in our power to get a hold of you, Lord? Lord, I'm I'm afraid your church is dying in America. You have removed yourself from the foolishness, the worldliness, the entertainment. I plead, O Lord, that you will turn the hearts of your people to seek your face, to repent, to forget about all the politics to forget even about what we think is going to happen, the fulfillment of revelation. Lord God, give us the courage to forget about all of that and focus instead on you, Jesus, that you could speak to our hearts in that still small voice, that you could work with us and use us in the great gospel commission of winning the lost and the dying to your heart, Jesus. Lord, would you come and move among us? Would you come and bring great conviction of sin, of casualness, of shallowness, of emptiness? Would you come and fill your people today, Jesus? Lord, I'm so sick and tired. ...of institutional religion. And I dread coming now into the Christmas season... ...where they're going to be decorating their churches... ...and and having their concerts. And Oh, Lord. You're not that baby anymore in the manger. You're the risen Christ. You're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're the judge standing at the door waiting to come. Many are called, you said, but few are chosen. Mighty God, I plead your mercy. I plead your mercy. Lord, there are some who are sick today, And by faith, I demand and command that sickness to leave their bodies. For by your stripes, Jesus, we are healed. And I stand by faith for the healing of my brother and sister as they listen to this broadcast. Stretch your hand out, brother. Stretch your hand out, sister. Receive what Jesus wants to give you in healing power. Lord, I pray for the fearful and the discouraged and the depressed that they would come to terms with their wicked heart and roll that anxiety over to you, Jesus, and be filled by your spirit. I plead that you would bring liberty and freedom in the prayer life of your people, that we would be serious and humble our hearts before you, that we would bestir ourselves and go for you, God, and get a hold of you, I pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. Thank you for each person who's listened. Have your way now. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I'd love to hear from you. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com.